Sundays in November were often dreary. This one was no different for 54-year-old Edward Daffarn. He fidgeted impatiently as he waited for the elevator at Grenfell Tower. Like always, it was taking forever. After a few minutes, he decided he'd had enough and stormed up the stairs. When Edward finally reached his apartment on the 16th floor, he opened his laptop and began writing another post for his Grenfell-centered blog. There was no shortage of things to chronicle. Management's lack of care for the apartments, the slow elevators, the single stairwell for 300 residents, the debris that littered the hallways. Edward worried that if a crisis arose, all of the building's issues could collide into the perfect storm, and the results would be devastating. In his post, Edward predicted a catastrophe would expose the landlords for what he thought they truly were, a profit-hungry mob. With one punch to the enter key, the entry was posted. It didn't take long to make its rounds. And seven months later, it seemed like all of Edward's warnings crashed down at once. He awoke in the middle of the night to shouts in the hallway. When he opened his front door, thick smoke billowed into his apartment. Within a few short hours, the entire building went up in flames. By the next morning, 72 people had died. And Edward felt like he knew exactly who was responsible. Welcome to Conspiracy Theories, a Spotify original from Parcast. Every Monday and Wednesday, we dig into the complicated stories behind the world's most controversial events and search for the truth. I'm Carter Roy. And I'm Molly Brandenburg. And neither of us are conspiracy theorists. But we are open-minded, skeptical, and curious. Don't get us wrong. Sometimes the official version is the truth. But sometimes it's not. You can find episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. This is our second episode on the Grenfell Tower disaster. In 2017, a fire destroyed a public housing apartment building in London, killing more than 70 people and destroying hundreds of residents' homes. Last time, we explored what sparked the fire and how it spread on June 14th. In the early morning hours, firefighters were horrified to see the flames eat through the concrete skyscraper. Dozens of residents perished on the upper floors, leaving the Grenfell community wondering how such a tragedy could have occurred. This episode will unpack theories on who may have been responsible for the disaster. As of this recording, the investigation has already shown that the building's exterior cladding is largely to blame. But there are conflicting opinions on who was responsible for ensuring the safety of the residents. So first, we'll analyze the conspiracy theory that Grenfell's landlords cut costs while refurbishing the building, despite knowing the risks. Then, we'll examine the theory that contractors were hired intentionally to conceal the risks of their products to make the sale. And finally, we'll discuss whether British government officials should be held accountable for the infamous disaster, since some have dismissed warnings and cuts to safety regulations. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. 
On June 14, 2017, a fire broke out in a flat at Grenfell Tower, an apartment building in England's wealthiest borough, Kensington and Chelsea. The fire department rushed to the scene and quickly located the blaze on the fourth floor. However, by that point, the flames had spread out the window and up the side of the tower. The blaze shocked firefighters. Most social housing complexes like Grenfell were built with materials meant to contain fires to a single floor. That way, first responders could isolate the flames and put them out. But that wasn't the case on June 14th. Within a few hours, fire engulfed the entire high-rise. Many residents fled their homes, but the blaze trapped even more tenants on the upper floors. With the ferocity of the fire, emergency services struggled to save everyone. By the next day, 72 people had died. Following the tragedy, the local community demanded justice for those who'd lost everything in the fire. They wanted to know how such a tragedy was possible in the 21st century. The government proceeded to open a public inquiry into the matter, which as of this recording is still ongoing. We do know, though, that the tragedy could have stemmed from decisions made years before the fire. This brings us to our first conspiracy theory. When refurbishing Grenfell Tower in the 2010s, the building's landlords cut costs at every turn, which eventually led to the deadly disaster. In the 2010s, Grenfell Tower was controlled by the Kensington Chelsea Tenant Management Organization, or KCTMO. The group served as the building's landlord. In addition to Grenfell, it oversaw the repairs, refurbishments, and safety of over 10,000 properties around Kensington and Chelsea. And in 2011, KCTMO planned to build a leisure center next door to the public housing high-rise. However, some members within the organization had concerns about how Grenfell's appearance might affect the new development. The tower looked exactly as it did in 1974. It was brown, old, and stood in stark contrast to sleek, modern buildings nearby. The landlords felt the apartments needed a new, contemporary design. In a 2011 email, one council employee called Grenfell the, quote, poor cousin to the brand new facility being developed next door. Clearly there was an attitude within the organization that the public housing complex in the neighborhood was an eyesore. To appease those critical of Grenfell, KCTMO installed metal paneling on the exterior of the apartment building. This feature is known as cladding. It's often used to protect the architectural structure underneath from rain, snow, and erosion. It operates much like the way our skin protects our internal organs and skeleton. The landlords plan to use cladding to insulate Grenfell and keep it warm. Primarily, they hoped the outer shell would give the tower a modern look. So in 2012, KCTMO turned to hiring contractors and architects for the project. They first met with one company that estimated the project would cost as much as 11.3 million pounds. This might seem like a high price tag, but it's actually within range for this kind of project, and the local council could easily afford the cost. HuffPost UK reported that in the year before the renovation, the council made over £129 million by selling property around London. 
The renovations for Grenfell were just a fraction of that sum. Still, they wanted the price lowered. Perhaps they hoped to pocket the extra profit and invest it into wealthier portions of Kensington and Chelsea. Either way, the council ordered KCTMO to cut the costs. This set the stage for a 2014 meeting when a KCTMO representative met with a manager at a contracting company called Rydon. The meeting wasn't public record. In fact, it was totally secret. That also meant the meeting went against legal advice the council received regarding EU procurement rules. Basically, at the time of their meeting with Rydon, KCTMO hadn't officially selected a contractor yet. So, by secretly dealing with the company, they were giving Rydon an unfair advantage. They were advised that negotiating like this could break European procurement rules. While we don't have specific notes from the meeting, it appears that the contractor found ways to lower the budget soon after. Initially, the plan was to use zinc in the metal cladding. But granted its cost, KCTMO proposed switching to a much cheaper aluminum alloy. This move saved about 300,000 pounds. The cost-cutting measures didn't end there. Rydon also agreed to slash the landscaping and window budgets at Grenfell. By the end of the list of cuts, they'd removed nearly 800,000 pounds from the refurbishment budget. But as we now know, these cost-cutting measures had dire consequences. And the warning signs were there all along. In November 2014, two years before the cladding was installed at Grenfell, a building in Melbourne, Australia, caught fire. According to authorities, the flames traveled up the exterior walls using the aluminum cladding on the outside of the building. This was nearly identical to what happened at Grenfell three years later. Despite the Melbourne blaze, KCTMO didn't halt the project. The cladding went up. Yet soon after, in 2016, the group received another warning, this time from one of their own tenants. Over the years, residents had dealt with faulty elevators, bad pipes, and poor management. By November 2016, one Grenfell resident, Edward Daffarn, felt there was too much to be ignored. He wrote a detailed blog post laying out the community's safety concerns. He said, quote, Only a catastrophic event will expose the ineptitude and incompetence of our landlord. Edward likened KCTMO to the mafia and claimed the group completely ignored health and safety regulations. Seven months would pass after Edward's scathing post, but the day the Grenfell fire broke out in 2017, the world learned just how true his concerns really were. According to the 2019 Public Inquiry Report, the main cause of the fire was the cheap aluminum cladding the landlord group used. The investigation went on to explain how the metal was filled with a plastic core. While plastic helped insulate the building, it also provided kindling for the flames. This aluminum-plastic combination sat on top of the building's pre-existing exterior, leaving pockets of air between the metal and the brick. When the blaze reached a high enough temperature, not only did it ignite the cladding, it also shot upwards rapidly as it reached these oxygen pockets. 
instead of containing the blaze, the metal coverings actually accelerated it. One fire safety expert said using the cladding was like covering the entire building in kerosene. To those affected by the tragedy, it seemed that KCTMO didn't care whether Grenfell Tower was safe, only that the renovations were budget-friendly. And authorities appear to agree with this assessment. In 2017, a police investigation found there may be reasonable grounds to charge the landlords with corporate manslaughter. However, the police have decided to wait to pursue any charges until the public inquiry ends. Until then, the people of Kensington are left with their own opinions on whether KCTMO is responsible. From what we've discussed, it seems that KCTMO prioritized money over safety. I can see how some would then conclude what was most important to them was improving Grenfell's cosmetics for the sake of the wealthy neighborhood. That's true, but I also think it's a fine line. Development organizations do have some responsibility to seek out what they think is a fair price for each project. That's an unavoidable part of business. We know, though, that the meeting KCTMO took with Rideon who appears to advise the council on many of the dangerous cuts, was one people advised against. That speaks for itself. Profit far outweighed resident safety. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the most believable, I'm going to give this theory a 7. I do agree there. The way KCTMO appeared to shop around for its renovation behind closed doors wasn't legal. However, I'm a little less certain that the organization is behind every issue that led to the fire. The cladding was certainly one source, but we have to hold all parties accountable when it comes to apartment fires. That includes management, local organizations and government, and tenants. Therefore, I'll go in the middle and give them a five. While KCTMO was in charge of Grenfell's refurbishments, they didn't manufacture the cladding themselves. Other businesses did, which opens up the possibility that contractors should also be held more responsible for those errors. And what we've learned since the fire suggests that these contractors knew much more than they let on. Coming up, we discuss whether product safety is really a sales pitch. Hi, I'm Christine Schiefer. And I'm M. Schultz. We're the hosts of Rituals, the new Spotify original from Parcast. If you've heard our podcast, And That's Why We Drink, you know we are no strangers to true crime and the paranormal. We're also into the occult uh, to chat about. Not to join, but, you know, to, to learn and educate. <laughs> Every Monday on Rituals, we're journeying through mystifying stories of sorcery, alchemy, Satanism, and more, and trying to determine if the dark arts of the past impact us today. Like weather witches, who were they? Or the Fountain of Youth? Address, please. <laughs> Don't forget about werewolf trials, Em. Objection, Christine. Let's not give too much away. And instead, let's tell everyone to follow our new podcast, Rituals, free and only on Spotify. Now back to the story. Following the disaster at Grenfell Tower, many people searched for someone to blame. 
Many surviving residents turned to the Kensington Chelsea Tenant Management Organization. They accused the landlords of implementing unsafe renovations that helped spread the fire. Until the inquiry is complete, we don't know if the KCTMO was operating in good faith. It's possible they didn't know the cladding was combustible because they'd been misled by the contractors they'd hired. Which brings us to our second conspiracy theory. The construction companies working on Grenfell hid the test results of their products in order to make a profit. And they may have known what they were selling was dangerously unsafe. For decades, construction companies have known that the exterior materials they work with can catch a blaze. A 2017 Guardian report found that in the 1980s, Germany banned the use of plastic insulation, the same insulation used at Grenfell in its cladding for tall buildings. They believed the material was too combustible. By outlawing it, they hoped to reduce fires in their cities. But up until the end of 2018, plastic insulation remained legal in England. However, it did need to pass a flame resistance test to be used. Since this was often difficult, companies did everything they could to get around these regulations. It wasn't just the plastic insulation that was problematic. The aluminum composite material, commonly known as ACM, used at Grenfell, was also known to be dangerous. And the product's manufacturer, Arconic, knew this as early as 2007. That year, one of its employees attended a lecture by an expert who claimed that ACM was highly combustible. In fact, he said it had the fuel power of a 19,000-liter truck of oil. Added to this was the fact that it wasn't just the metal that was dangerous. Arconic also knew that the structure of the paneling posed serious risks. In construction, there are two types of cladding, riveted and cassette. With the riveted system, the screws show on the outside of the metal. It's considered less visually appealing than cassette, which has a sleeker look. Over a 10-year period, from 2005 to 2015, Arconic tested each system four times. Every single time, riveted passed and cassette failed. The cassette system burned 10 times faster and produced three times as much smoke. Rather than improve its cassette system, though, the company allegedly attempted to cover up its poor ratings. In 2008, Arconic supplied its safety test results to a British group that oversees construction products. The group would evaluate whether the French manufacturer's products met their own standards. However, Arconic only provided the safety group with these successful test results. Without any knowledge of the failed cassette ratings, the safety group approved Arconic's product certification. It was only 13 years later, in 2021, that the true results became public at the Grenfell Inquiry. Arconic's French division president claimed it was all by accident that they concealed a test. Many people were skeptical of his statement, and maybe for a reason. In an email dating back to 2010, the company's technical manager stated that the cassette system test results were unfavorable. So, he advised employees and clients to keep the results strictly confidential. 
To get the Grenfell job, Arconic claimed their cladding had the highest possible safety ratings, and they had the board stamp to back up these claims. So despite their ineffective cassette system, they still got the bid. According to evidence presented at the inquiry, Arconic wasn't the only business misleading potential employers. Celatex, who produced the plastic insulation at Grenfell, also knew their product was unsafe. In a 2014 internal presentation, the company acknowledged that its material could easily catch fire. However, Celatex executives reportedly believe most officials didn't know the specific testing requirements and wouldn't hold their product to them. So the company sold it to Grenfell anyway. It seems like a lot of companies working on Grenfell's renovation were explicitly aware that their products could make the tower even more dangerous. And yet, they chose not to speak up. In 2015, a design manager at the company that installed the cladding said the aluminum would burn up almost instantly in a fire. However, he never raised these concerns with KCTMO or the other contractors. And the problems didn't end there. In May 2016, the contractors were significantly behind schedule. One consultant criticized the entire operation, referring to the project as a farce. To him, it seemed like no one really cared about getting the job done. However, that same month, the borough council put out a press release about the building's transformation. They applauded the results, praising Grenfell's new sleek metal cladding. But as we now know, that cladding ultimately helped spread the blaze. During phase two of the Grenfell inquiry, the companies involved in the renovation all pointed fingers at one another. Meanwhile, the attorneys acting on behalf of the investigation claimed that they were all responsible from top to bottom. The lawyers revealed that a KCTMO project manager asked Rydon about the fire retardancy of the cladding. But evidently, Rydon never responded. Similarly, Arconic was intentionally opaque over its business practices. The company's executives even refused to testify at the inquiry. And because this Arconic subsidiary was based in France, upper management chose to exercise an obscure French law, one that allowed them to avoid providing evidence and documents in foreign trials. While technically legal, the move outraged survivors. Many people felt the no-show was as good as an admission of guilt. While this conspiracy deals with multiple parties, I think it boils down to the question of whether these companies really knew that their products were dangerous. To me, it seems likely that they did. Many of their emails essentially admitted the products were extremely combustible. That's true. I will say, though, that cladding is more commonly used than we think. The BBC reported that as of December 2021, nearly 200 buildings in England may still have the flammable metal. While that's a major problem, it shows that the material was frequently chosen in construction and that development laws allowed it to keep being used. Well, that's a fair point, but just because something is widely used doesn't absolve companies from having responsibility over selling it. Arconic allowed the landlords to believe that the materials were safe. 
However, private emails show the executives knew their metal was highly flammable. I see what you're saying. I think many, if not all, of the businesses involved in the Grenfell renovation knew that the project was cutting corners and using dangerous materials. While I can't say for certain if these companies specifically manipulated their test results to secure this project, we know that it was a problem in the past, especially for Arconic. That's good reason to believe these companies knew how flammable their materials were. So I give this theory a 7 out of 10. I agree. From what we've discussed, these contractors seem determined to make a buck no matter what. While not all of the evidence is there yet concerning the tests, I wouldn't be surprised if the final inquiry report tells us more about how the results may have been manipulated. So I'll go a little higher and rank this at an 8. Both KCTMO and the contractors it hired appeared to hold some responsibility for the horrible tragedy at Grenfell Tower. But if we zoom out, there's an even more striking reality, because the issue isn't just the disaster that occurred on June 14th. Perhaps the problem is the entire housing system. Coming up, we look into whether the British government ignored decades of warnings. Now, back to the story. The Grenfell Fire in 2017 marked the most deadly residential fire in the United Kingdom since World War II. Many survivors and their loved ones blamed the landlords for the blaze. Others claimed the contractors who'd renovated the tower lied about the safety of their products. Still, it's very possible an even bigger systemic issue was at play. British law itself and the people enforcing it. Some people went as far as to say that multiple prime ministers were responsible for the fire. Which brings us to our final conspiracy theory. In the decades before the Grenfell fire, the British government cut safety regulations and ignored warnings about public housing complexes. And even after the tragedy, they refused to keep their citizens safe. To understand this theory, we need to go back to 1985, when Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher was in the midst of her second term. As a champion of free market economics, Thatcher believed in cutting all regulations, and perhaps that extended to building codes too. According to the magazine Inside Housing, before she took office, there had been over 300 pages of guidelines. After Thatcher's government was through with them, there were just 24. The following year, the Prime Minister removed the London Building Act, which originated in 1666, after the Great Fire of London destroyed 80% of the city. The legislation said that the exterior material of buildings had to have at least one hour of fire resistance. However, Thatcher's new regulations lowered the standards for external walls, allowing combustible materials on the outside surfaces. These new regulations had serious consequences. In 2009, an apartment complex in London had a fire breakout in one of the flats. Emergency services expected the blaze to be contained by the structure's concrete, but the flames traveled up and across the side of the building. If this sounds eerily familiar, that's because the fire spread rapidly thanks to the cladding, just like at Grenfell. 
Six people died in the 2009 blaze, including three children. The public cried out for a full inquest. Consequently, the government conducted a 10-week inquiry into the tragedy. Through their investigation, they found that the council in charge of the apartments never carried out a proper safety inspection. And like that at Grenfell Tower eight years later, the fire brigade also advised some of the victims to remain in their flats. Still, even after the findings, the British government failed to pass new regulations. They didn't order higher safety ratings for exterior walls or demand that material be flame-resistant. Plus, they didn't reconsider the efficacy of the stay-put policy. Against all odds, regulations were then peeled back even further. In 2012, Prime Minister David Cameron's government introduced the one-in-two-out rule. It stated that for every one pound a new regulation cost a company, the government had to find two pounds of savings. Cameron hoped this new guidance would deregulate business, specifically when it came to health and safety. According to some estimates, the new measures cut regulations by 90%. While officials saw the steps as fuel for the economy, others believed the government's thriftiness was a direct risk to the people it served. Much like the contractors and KCTMO, it appeared that the administration valued profit over livelihood and the cuts had a real impact on the people at Grenfell Tower. Landlords were not legally required to install sprinkler systems in their buildings. Only tall structures erected after 2007 required the extra safety measure. However, even after multiple fires and repeated warnings, the government still didn't make the sprinklers mandatory for older buildings. In 2014, the housing minister shrugged off calls for sprinkler regulations, citing the high cost. He also reasoned the fire department should be in charge of marketing and implementing the safety measure, not the government. Regardless of whose responsibility it was to mandate sprinkler systems, Grenfell Tower didn't have them. A 2015 inside housing investigation discovered that out of the nearly 3,000 social housing complexes in England, just 18 had sprinklers installed. Perhaps David Cameron's strict stance on regulations made it impossible to institute additional precautions. Or maybe officials simply didn't want to do it because it cost more time and money. In 2014, the government received a report concerning aluminum cladding and plastic insulation, the same materials used at Grenfell. Experts wanted to call the government's attention to multiple disasters involving ACM cladding. They suggested clarifying in the law that this metal shouldn't be used on buildings higher than 18 meters. Yet, the officials didn't take any legislative action. Shortly after, a vicious fire burned in a London high-rise. But it wasn't at Grenfell. It was at Shepherd's Court, just one mile from the tower. On August 19, 2016, a fire broke out in the apartment complex in West London. It spread out of the windows and climbed five stories. Thankfully, the fire department managed to put out the blaze before it could claim any lives. A later investigation found the flames melted the cladding. That's how the fire burned through five floors. 
After the tragedy, the London Fire Brigade wrote a letter to all 33 councils in London, warning the local governments that the cladding on the outside of buildings was dangerous. The firefighters also instructed the officials to ensure their structures followed all fire safety codes and regulations. However, the Royal Bureau of Kensington and Chelsea, the group in charge of Grenfell and the KCTMO, didn't appear to take action. They didn't install sprinklers or mandate a central alarm system, and they definitely didn't provide extra funds to refurbish the building with non-combustible materials. Sadly, despite the clear consequences of ignoring these precautions, even after the fire, little changed. Immediately following the Grenfell disaster, members of the Kensington Chelsea Council weren't seen assisting in the recovery. And Prime Minister Theresa May didn't meet with anyone who'd lived at Grenfell until days after the fire. Following a public uproar, May announced a cash fund of five million pounds that would assist survivors. But many people saw these gestures as political opportunities for good press, not genuine acts of compassion. In response to the outrage, Politicians, including Theresa May, promised to replace the combustible cladding on the exterior of London high-rises. Perhaps then they could restore trust in the community. That's because after the disaster, a study showed that over 400 buildings in London had combustible cladding. People across the city saw their homes as the next potential disaster. Finally, it forced the government to respond. In 2018, the UK banned aluminum paneling on any complexes over 18 meters tall. They also allocated billions of pounds for its removal. According to the BBC, nearly 300 of the identified buildings fully removed their cladding by December 2021. However, other organizations feared the number of at-risk structures could be much higher. They note that the government is only addressing ACM cladding and not other dangerous systems. In response to the growing crisis, the British government pushed for additional funding to remove all cladding. Unfortunately, the project moved slowly, leaving thousands of people fearful for their lives. To assuage the risks, residents took matters into their own hands. In many buildings, Tenants personally paid for fire wardens to patrol their halls in waking watches. If a fire broke out, they alerted the entire complex, enabling a fast and efficient evacuation. This inevitably brought the government under scrutiny for not paying for the service themselves. Often, the residents in these buildings struggled to afford the fees. Many British citizens felt officials were abandoning them again. Today, the issue still hasn't been completely resolved. Thousands of Londoners still live in unsafe apartments. While the government and local councils debate renovations and regulations, many tenants feel they have to stretch their means just to protect themselves because no one else will. From what we've just discussed, it seems like the British government has a sizable history of cutting back on safety regulations. Both Thatcher and Cameron approved eliminating measures that could have helped the situation at Grenfell. In many ways, you can draw a direct line between their actions and various housing tragedies. But remember, most of the safety warnings were directed at local councils, 
not the federal government. Even if they could have done more, I'm not sure we can reasonably find the national government responsible for every one of London's apartment fires. I see your point. In an environment where there are layers of governance, local governments are definitely closest to matters like this. With a lack of sprinklers and the lingering threat of cladding fires, these smaller councils could have done far more to address safety concerns. But without proper regulation on a national level, disasters like Grenfell could happen again, in part because of government inaction. For that reason, on a scale of 1 to 10, I'm giving this theory a 7. I do agree that the lack of intervention from Britain's local and federal governments is a serious issue here. But when compared with the landlords and contractors, I'm not sure if the government holds as much responsibility as those who actually own and renovate buildings like Grenfell. It's possible, though, that landlords won't make the responsible choice unless they have no other option. From what we've seen, landlords and contractors choose profit over safety time and time again. That's true. I think collectively, all three of these entities should share the responsibility of protecting tenants. For that reason, I'll give this theory a six. We both agree that the Grenfell Tower fire was an unspeakable tragedy. As of this recording, no one has been charged with negligence or manslaughter. The UK government is in the process of investigating the contractors, landlords, and local governments associated with the fire. In the end, they all should be held accountable for failing to prevent the disaster. Any day now, the independent investigator may release his report on the tragedy. Until then, we'll have to wait to know who is truly responsible for the blaze that claimed more than 70 lives and impacted hundreds of others. Thanks for tuning in to Conspiracy Theories. You can find all episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. We'll be back next time with a new episode. Until then, remember, the truth isn't always the best story. And the official story isn't always the truth. Conspiracy Theories is a Spotify original from ParCast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, Sound designed by Dick Schroeder, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Bruce Katovich. This episode of Conspiracy Theories was written by Alex Bernard, with writing assistance by Amber Hurley and Mackenzie Moore. Fact-checking by Anya Barely and research by Bradley Klein. Conspiracy Theories stars Molly Brandenburg and Carter Roy. Werewolves, witches, and Arthur Conan Doyle? Oh my! Sounds like fascinating topics to discuss on our new show, Rituals, Christine. You know what, Em? It sure does. Every Monday on Rituals, join us as we explore the evolution of spiritualism and the occult through stories, practices, and the impact on modern culture. If you've heard our podcast and that's why we drink, this is the perfect pairing for you. And if you haven't, go give us a try. Follow our Spotify original from Parcast, Rituals. Listen free only on Spotify. Spotify.